Good morning and welcome to worship. My name is Andy Nelms and I have the privilege of being uh, an associate pastor here at Lover's Lane and uh, the pastor here at Thrive and I am so excited to get to worship with you whether you're uh, in person this morning or whether you're online. I am uh, I'm so glad that you all are here and uh, I want to wish um, you a happy Mother's Day and and uh, I know this is kind of a strange time, so I, I, I want to make sure that our moms are celebrated, that those special women in our lives are celebrated, uh, that they get everything that they deserve this morning. Uh, thank you so much for all you do, but I, I also want to recognize those who, um, you know, Mother's Day maybe is a, is a difficult time. Uh, maybe you're estranged from your mother, uh, maybe you're estranged from your daughter, maybe, um, or your son, or, or maybe uh, you've tried and, and you're still hoping to become a mother, whatever the case, I, uh, I am just so glad that we are here together this morning as we worship with all that we are, uh, and I, I welcome you again in worship. We are um, in a sermon series called Unnamed, and, and, and this series is about the unnamed women of the Bible, and uh, especially in the Gospels, and, and even in some of the Old Testament that we're going to learn about this morning, there are these characters that come through the Bible um, completely unnamed. Um, you know, they're called, you know, woman with a jar of oil, or woman with the flower, or, you know, woman with this, or woman with that, and um, these women are, are just kind of unnamed, but they come into the story, and they make such a large impact in the story, and then they kind of move on out. Have you ever had somebody in your life like that, where somebody kind of entered into your life and, and made a large impact, and then just kind of moved out without ever being named? Um, there was this moment when I was a kid, uh, my, my parents took me to uh, Colorado. We were in Aspen, and uh, we didn't go skiing, but we were, we were there in Aspen and, and just kind of doing sightseeing and doing, you know, just some fun stuff. And one of the things we did was mountain biking while we were in Aspen, and uh, it was this really cool thing. You know, they, um, it was still like had a gondola. They put your bike on the back of the gondola. They sent you up the mountain, uh, and then you rode down, and you picked kind of the path that you wanted to go down. And, and it was a really fun thing that I was doing with my parents and my mom and my dad, and um, we had gone up several times and we're coming down and gone up several times, come down. And the last time we said, okay, this is it. We're going to do this and then we'll be done. The last time we came down, uh, we had come all the way down the mountain and, uh, and there was a bridge um, that you went across to go to kind of the clubhouse. And so uh, we started to go across the bridge and, and my dad uh, kind of went diagonally across the bridge and the bridge had wooden slats on it that were separated. And uh, my dad's bike, the front wheel went in between the slats and sent him over the handlebars, and he hit the wall of the bridge just really hard. And, um, and this all happened in front of me. I, I was um, probably about 10 or 11 at the time, maybe even 12, but watched all this happen. And as you watch your parents get hurt, it's, it's kind of this like searing moment in, in your minds. And watched my dad go over the handlebars, you know, hit the wall kind of with his, with his shoulder and get all scraped up and bloodied from this event. And, and all this happened, and I was just shocked. And my mom and I were just shocked. We had friends with us. Well, all of us just kind of stopped and stared at him and, and didn't really know what to do. And it seemed like seconds later, somebody came in. Like this, this guy just kind of ran in and, and grabbed my dad and said, I know first aid. And, and kind of helped pick him up and took him over to a bench. And, and there he just like, he started working on him. You know, like in my mind, it was like one of those like cartoon things where the cloud of dust goes up, you know, and then... And then all of a sudden he was done and, and my dad's arm was in a sling. He had bandages and, and band-aids on him and, and, and all these things. And, and the man told my dad, I said, you, you have a broken clavicle. I need to take you to the hospital. 
And um, my dad said, well, we don't even know where the hospital is. Says, it's okay. And, and he turned and looked at my mom and he says, I'm driving a red pickup. Um, I'll lead you there. And so he puts my dad in his truck and, and we get in the car and we follow him. Uh, we follow him to this hospital and and, um, and there, when we get to the hospital, we pull up like under the porta cachet of the ER, and there, there's a woman waiting there. This guy has called ahead of time to, um, to, to make sure that there's somebody there. There's a, there's a nurse there with a wheelchair. My, my dad gets out of the truck, sits in the wheelchair. She runs him in, and the guy drives away. And we never heard from him. We never got to say thank you. We never got to, he made such a large impact in our life, and we'll never know this person's name. There are these people in our lives that, that make such an incredible impact that, that go unnamed. And our, and our hope and our prayer is that as we go throughout this ser- series, we will recognize these people, specifically these women, that are unnamed in the Bible and the large impact that they make. And this morning, we come to a character in the Old Testament, kind of the, the first half of the Bible and uh, time, Part of the Bible that tells about the story of God's grace as it came um, to the nation of Israel, to a people of Israel. And and there we read about a woman who is unnamed. Um, She's simply referenced to in the Bible as uh, the widow or or the widow with um, flour or the widow with oil. And, And we come to this person, this unnamed person that teaches us the value of enough. And as I think about this story, I I think about this fear that maybe we all have, that in some point, in some resource, we are afraid there won't be enough. There's some resource in our lives that we're afraid there won't be enough of. Uh, Walter Brueggemann calls it the myth of scarcity. We think that there there just won't be enough of this resource, whatever it is. Um, whenever I'm not just like really spiritually healthy, whenever I'm not emotionally healthy, um, sometimes I can believe there won't be enough money. And, um, and I don't know if you're like me, but I am the cheapest person alive. I don't know if you know this about me. Um, not that I necessarily like buying cheap things, but if there is something that is even halfway working in my house, it's working, Right? Um, probably the most um, glaring example is, is uh, when, when our can opener stopped working. We had just a, like a, a manual crank can opener, again, because I was too cheap to buy the electronic can opener. I said, you can do that with your hand, you know? And so um, we had the, the crank can opener, um, and the crank broke on our can opener. So that the only way you could open a can is by clamping it down, opening your hand, moving the jar a little bit, and clamping it down again. This was working in my mind, okay? I, I, I don't really enjoy telling you this. This is safe space, right? Okay, you online, this is now here forever. But anyways, um, Melissa continually told me, my wife said, we need to buy a new can opener. I said, why? This one works just fine. Melissa eventually bought a can opener, okay? Don't, don't go and buy us a can opener. We, we have a working can opener with a crank and everything. We're, you know, we're the Rockefellers now, right? But um, you know, sometimes, if I'm not really emotionally healthy, I can think there won't be enough money. Maybe you're the same way. Uh, maybe, you know, that number in your bank account that says, you know, like, we're fine, we're okay, the number required to be able to say that gets larger and larger. 
right? Say, well, when I get this much in savings, then whenever you got that much in savings, you said, yeah, but we, now we need this much. Or, or whenever I get a paycheck that's this much, then we'll be okay, but somehow the money keeps going out. Maybe it's not savings, maybe it's the paycheck, and maybe uh, it seems like no matter how much money you make, more and more just keeps flowing out of you, and you says, you know what, there's just not enough money. Or for some of us, it's stuff. It's like our things, Right, you know, and, and we're so afraid that there won't be enough things that we have, you know, that we, we hold on to things that we haven't used in years. And, and when somebody says, hey, can we throw this away? Can we give this away? Can we, can we give this to somebody who could actually use it? You say, no, why? Because I might need it. Right, and we've even created off-site storage. Right, to, to like to hold things that we own that we don't need. We said, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it over there. Some of us forgot that we had offsite storage until I said offsite storage. Some of us are afraid that there won't be enough stuff. I, I, I might need this thing, and if you throw that, if you give that away, then I won't have it. Some of us are afraid that there won't be enough time. You know, I, I can't, I can't do this with you. I, I just don't have the time to do it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. I, I, I can't do that. I. I can't spare, you know, a, a time to pray. I, I can't spare a, a moment to, to study scripture. You know, I can't do that. There, there, just, there just isn't enough time in my day. i uh, constantly just needed by somebody, by my children, by my coworkers, by my boss, by the people who report to me. I, I, I am so ex busy with all of this stuff that, that I don't have the time. When we don't have enough, that means that we're in control of everything. When we don't have enough, that means we are in control of everything, and we're trying to hoard all of this ourselves. And here's the thing about control, friends. If we control everything, we don't give room for God to do what only God can do. Now, you may be here this morning and not know what you believe about God. You may be watching online and, and you just clicked this link because you wanted something different this morning. To, you said, maybe this can help. And here's what I want to tell you, that if we control everything, if we do everything by our own power, then we are not leaving room for God to do what only God can do. God will not override us. God will not override our willpower and say, nope, this is what you're going to get. I'm going to do this anyways. No, God is going to let us choose. But if we do everything, if we control everything, if we hoard everything, if we do all of this ourselves, then that's all we are going to get. But if we open up, we can let God do what only God can do. I'm reminded that uh, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church, he says uh, that there are three kinds of living, survival, success, and significance. If we control everything, leave us up here for just a minute, Jackie, if you can leave that back up. Yeah. If we control everything, there are three kinds of living, survival, success, and significance. If we control everything, we can get to survival and success. If you do everything yourself, you could probably get some semblance of success in your life. But if we open ourselves up, if we open ourselves up, then we can get to the actual significance that is to be had in our life. The, the belief that there is enough. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, again, this 
story from this morning, um, the scripture comes um, from the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 17. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to use it this morning. It's in the, it's in the Old Testament. Again, it's kind of in the first half of the Bible. And, and uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 this morning, we are going to read about a character named Elijah. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament about whom 1 Kings has a lot to say. And, and we read this about um, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, we're starting in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself, for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. There's been this famine in the land. There, there have been no crops produced in this land. And at this time, God speaks to Elijah the prophet. And God speaks to Elijah the prophet and he tells him to go to Zarephath outside of Israel. This, this is not um, Israel proper. This is not like, you know, the, the people of Israel believe that God had called them to go to a land, a land flowing with milk and honey where God had uh, called them to be, where God would bless them. And, and God calls to Elijah and says, go to Zarephath. Not only go to Zarephath, but what does it say? Go to Zarephath and live there. Lit, go, go to this place. There is a famine across the land. Nobody has any food, but I want you to go ahead and move to this land. Go and live there, and there is a widow there that will feed you. And so Elijah goes to Zarephath, and there he meets a widow. He meets a mother who is gathering sticks. And he tells her, he says, can you bring me some water? She goes and she brings him some water, and he says, you know what, do you have any bread that you could give me? And she says, I only have enough. For one more meal for my son and I. And then we will eat it and we will die. And I, and, I, and I can't help but think, like, what is she planning in this moment? You know, like, like how do you know this is your last meal? And unless maybe you're, you're planning to not watch your family suffer. To not watch your, your son suffer. I, I just can't get it out of my mind that this woman might have been pushed to the brink so far. That she might have been pushed to drastic measures. And she says, listen, this is, this is the last time I'm going to be gathering sticks. This is the last time I'm going to be making bread for my son. I can't watch this anymore. This is what is going on in my life. She's been pushed to the brink. And Elijah said to her in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but go and do as you have said. But first, make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied. And the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. 
Elijah does what Elijah does. Elijah's a prophet. He's somebody who speaks for God. And so when he encounters this woman who says, we only have enough bread and oil to, only enough flour and oil to make bread for one more meal. Elijah says, I've got a word from God for you. I've got this thing for you. Here it is. If you will go and make me some first, then you will have enough. If you go and make me this bread first, you will have enough until the Lord sends rain upon the earth again. I love this passage because I think it speaks about the providence of God and I think it speaks about how God actually provides in our life. Look at what Elijah tells her. If you go and do this thing, you will have enough bread for you and your son until the famine is over. There's this timeline, there's this deadline, and there's simply enough. It's not this like this thing where, where if you know she puts a little bread and oil in front of Elijah, then, then, then she'll like open her pantry and bread will just dump out. You know, it's not like you'll have so much bread you can stockpile, it's going to go bad before you can ever eat it. He doesn't tell her, you know what, you'll have so much bread, you'll be the envy of all your neighbors. You know, you'll get to brag about how much bread you have. Be like, you're hungry? My bread just went bad, you know? Like, like, it's not this kind of bread, it's not this kind of providence, it's not this kind of God providing. Elijah said, if you do this, you will have enough and so she does verse 15 she went out and did as Elijah said so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days the jar of meal was not emptied neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah Friends, she had enough. And my hope, my prayer this morning is that we would know that we have enough. And that we would experience freedom in that. Friends, I hope and I pray that you would experience the freedom of enough this morning. I hope, that you, I hope and pray that you would experience the freedom of enough this morning, that this today would be our permission to stop striving, to, to stop constantly looking out and comparing ourselves to somebody else and saying, I don't have enough, look how much they have. To, to, to stop making that arbitrary number in our income, to stop making that arbitrary number in our bank account that thinks that, you know what, I just don't have enough friends that we would experience the relief and the freedom that comes with enough. And that we would experience the freedom and the knowledge that you are enough. Maybe we apply the myth of scarcity to our finances. And we say, you know what, I, I, I just don't have enough. You know, there are too many things that are pulling me and my attention apart. You know, when it comes to money, when it comes to savings, when it comes to spending, when it comes to eating, when it comes to doing all these things, you know, I just can't spare anything. And then whenever the church talks to you about giving, you know, you have that eye roll moment. You're just like, you know what? Like that's for like other people apparently because I can't even do that. I couldn't even fathom what that would look like in my life. 
And here's what we realize. In my family, in my household, we, we practice what's called a tithe. We give 10% of our income to the church so that the kingdom of God can come to this earth. And here's what we've realized. This is not something that we've done forever, right? When, when Melissa and I first got married, we had that moment when we looked at our bank account and it was nothing. And we said, you want 10% of this? You know, like, like uh, you know, here's 50 bucks. You know, like, like that was, um, the, you know, that 500. Anyways, okay, so... Um, you know, it, it, there wasn't enough, but here's what we've realized, that whenever we give that 10%, we actually learn that the rest of that 90% was not ours in the first place, but belongs to the kingdom of God so that the kingdom can come to this earth. And we've learned how to be generous in our lives. We've experienced freedom of that. If, if you've applied the myth of scarcity to your income, to your finances, friends, I hope that you would experience the freedom of sparing. The freedom of sparing, of saying that there's enough. And, and not this kind of like blind trust where you just like, you know, write this huge check and just think, you know, there's going to be enough. No, that you manage it. And you say, I'm going to sacrifice something. I'm going to sacrifice eating out. I'm going to sacrifice, you know, this coffee. I'm going to sacrifice this meal or this vacation or this trip or this thing. I'm going to sacrifice this thing so that I can live sparingly. And actually see the kingdom of God come through my finances. If you believe in the myth of scarcity when it comes to your finances, I pray that you would experience the freedom of enough, that you would experience the freedom of sparing. Or maybe you have this problem with stuff. Maybe you have this problem with all these things around you. And, and, and you know, it's like, I, I got to keep these things for someday. I might need them. And I don't even know where they are. I don't have any way to, like, you know, understand where things are. If they're in off-site storage, if they're in my attic, if they're in my basement, if they're wherever. I pray that you would experience the freedom of simplicity. I pray that you would experience the freedom of simplicity, the, the freedom of, of having less, but valuing those things that you do have more. And that you would realize what blessing those things that you have, that you don't even know that you have, realize what blessing that would be to someone else. Maybe you have this thing, maybe it's, you know, really valuable, maybe it's a family heirloom, maybe it's, a, uh, maybe it's something you just paid a lot of money for that you haven't used. What would it be like to have a conversation with somebody who could really value that thing and say, hey, this thing has been in my attic for so long and I want you to have it. Because I think that you will really appreciate this, you will really value this, you will really love this, and, and I will receive joy from knowing that you have this thing. And in so doing, you would experience this freedom of simplicity of not having to keep track of all of these things that you have. Or maybe our problem of missing scarcity is with our time. We say, you know what, I, I just, I am so busy. As soon as I wake up in the morning, I am going, I am doing something, I am, I am active, and I can't stop until I just finally fall asleep. You know, like I, I have to be doing and moving and acting and producing and doing all of these things. I pray that you would experience two things. That first of all, you would experience the freedom of silence. That you would take time out of your day to listen for what God has for you. And maybe you're somebody who's never practiced that before. Just try. Maybe, maybe read a passage of scripture before you begin. Maybe just ask a prayer. Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Do something to where you are, you are turning your mind to the things of God. And then just wait. 
And you may not hear something on the first try or the second or the third, but I believe if you practice this over and over again, you will begin to discern the voice of God. I pray that if, that if your myth of scarcity is applied to time, that you would experience the freedom of silence. And that also you would experience the freedom of Sabbath. The freedom of Sabbath. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is a day of rest, is a 24-hour period of rest every seven days. That's what Sabbath is. Some of us say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm too busy. I, I can't do that. You know, I'm, t- I'm too important to my work. I, I, I can't do that. I think the scarier truth is we're probably not that important. The scarier thing is that, that, that we're really not that needed. And we're afraid of what would happen if we actually stopped. So I pray that you would experience this freedom of enough. Somewhere in your life, I pray that you would apply it. That you would say, you know what, of these things, this is, this is my takeaway. That, that, that I might experience the freedom uh, from my finances by, by learning about sparing. That I might uh, give away these things by learning about simplicity. That I, might, that I might actually listen through silence and Sabbath. In some way, this week and throughout the rest of our life, we would experience this freedom of enough. Why? Because God wants it for you. Because God is constantly telling you, you are enough. And in this moment, you can have enough. But it's going to take something from us. It's going to take some action on us. Maybe it looks like downsizing a house so that we don't have to keep up with this payment of this square footage that we don't need anymore. Maybe it looks like, like being generous in our life and saying, you know what, we're going to start living into this and we're actually going to start budgeting and sacrificing so that we can be generous. Maybe it looks like taking time out of your day to listen for God. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's at noon. Maybe it's at supper time. Anyways, no, maybe it's Maybe taking time for silence in your day, or maybe it's taking a 24-hour period of rest every seven days. Whatever the case, I pray that you would do this so that we will not be people who are constantly striving for some arbitrary thing. That you would know that you are enough. Let us pray. God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us by the power of your word and Holy Spirit. God, that in these moments we would know, God, that we are enough. That we don't need more in order to be valued by you. We, we don't need to have more in order to be valued by you. We don't need to have a different title or, 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 or this or that, a bigger house or a nicer car. We don't need anything in order to be valued by you, but you, you value us just the way we are. And God, I pray that we would learn about enough this morning. That we wouldn't have to strive, we wouldn't have to keep going for some arbitrary goal, but God, that we would truly learn about the power of significance in our life. That we would put aside survival and success so that we can lead and live a significant life in you. 
We ask it by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, who came and taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.